Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. All right. Hey, I just wanted to uh, take a second to introduce, we're having a guest speaker today, which is kind of an exciting prospect. Uh, You know, you normally have to listen to me uh, or Steve uh, or Presley, uh, but today you get a break from all of us, and I think that's going to be wonderful. Um, I've been youth minister, or I was youth minister at Woodbury for 13 years, and there were a couple groups of students that I got to see all the way through 7th through 12th grade, and it's just, it's kind of an exciting prospect to be a part of somebody's life through those years, Um, and our guest speaker today was one of those kids. He started in seventh grade and graduated high school and is now a junior in college. Um, So Jake Maynard is going to be preaching for us today, and he's he's pretty accomplished in his uh, short life. He spent last summer at 4th Avenue Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee, interning there with their youth ministry, uh, doing a great job there, loved it, and is, in fact, going back to 4th Avenue this coming summer. Uh, He was selected to speak at Harding Chapel uh, earlier this year, so I don't know how many people are at the chapel service, but it's a couple thousand, right? So you're going to you're, you're have to lower your expectations for this audience for us. Uh, but it's pretty exciting that he's been able to do all those things. And I think one of the things that we want to remember as a church family is that this is part of what a church family is and does, is that we, we have these opportunities to identify uh, gifts and talents within the church body and then provide opportunities for them to be cultivated and just to see, see people blossom. Uh, and it's kind of, it's, it's wild to think about. I mean, most of you remember Jake running around the church building when he was four or five years old, just doing the craziest stuff. Like, why in the world are you doing that? And he didn't know. He didn't have a reason why. Uh, and you just imagine... You just imagine some of, of your kids who are, who are four or five, six years old at some point might have opportunities to, to lead groups of students, to, to intern in youth ministry, to, to speak in front of crowds of people. You just never know what God is going to do. And so we want to make sure that we provide the opportunities as a church family uh, for people to do that. So without any further ado, I'm going to uh, invite Jake Maynard up to preach for us this morning. Let's give him a big round of applause. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you, Patrick, for that introduction, but also I want to talk to uh, those who are my Sunday school teachers or if you were my high school teacher. Uh, I know that none of us, including me, thought I'd be up here doing this uh, when, I was, when I was over there hanging with y'all or in your classes, but I want to thank you guys for, for raising me and helping me to, uh, to become who I'm becoming today, and that's awesome. It's hard to open a Bible with one hand. There we go. Okay. Um, yeah, I want to say thank you guys for having me back. It's, it's awesome. I haven't been here in almost a year. Uh, I've been, you know, interning, traveling, and, and doing my best to learn Greek, so hanging in there. But I just want to say thank you guys for having me back. You guys mean so much to me. You're my first church family and will always be my church family, um, and I love you guys. But this morning, I want to start off by telling you guys a story about when I was little, when I was about four or five. Uh, and me and my family were at the Mall of America. I think we were doing our, our Christmas shopping or something. Um, and me being four or five, Patrick, like you said, I had no reason doing what I was doing at that age. And I couldn't really tell you why, but I was fascinated by escalators. And specifically about the escalators, the fact that the hand railing goes you know, along with the escalator. 
So when I was little, I would do this thing where I would grab the escalator handle and see if I could like pull it down, see if I could like resist the power of the escalator handle. And little four or five year old me found out the hard way that I couldn't. So I would hold on to it and I would kind of let it drag me and then I'd let go, hold on to it, let it drag me and let go. And one time when we were at the mall, we were on the third floor of Nordstrom's and uh, if y'all know, it's like uh, the escalators work, they're in the center of the store and it's like just a drop down to the, to the first floor. From the third floor to the first floor, it's like the escalators are in this kind of little empty octagon. And I was doing the thing where I kind of am playing with the escalator and I don't think my parents were really too worried about it. And they were like, ah, he's weird. He does this all the time, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but I got a little too big for my britches and I was holding on to it and I just decided not to let go. And what had happened was the escalator had picked me up off of my feet and I was about to flip over the edge, but my sister, my older sister, Allie, saw what was happening, ran, grabbed me, up, grabbed me by the collar, and pulled me back onto the, uh, onto the third floor. And I'm not a scientist, I don't know how physics work, but I think a four-year-old dropping about three stories might have not turned out too well. And I'm not gonna lie, that kind of changed my perspective on life. I was only four years old, but I was like, whew, that was a close one. I'm gonna have to look at life a little bit differently now. Um, but there are also more serious cases of people having a, a, a life change like this. There was a, a guy that I heard of from a sermon, and it was this, uh, this really godly man who was told by the doctor that he had uh, three months left to live. Or, sorry, it was one month. He had one month left to live. So he was in hospice care at the hospital for that month, just them trying to keep him alive because he had terminal cancer. And he spent that whole month evangelizing to every single person that he came into contact with. He was stuck in the hospital bed, but every single nurse that he came into contact with, he would say, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the gospel? And, and it's, it's said that he even tried to evangelize to the, to the chaplain there. Can you imagine that, trying to evangelize to someone who's like, their job is to come and visit you and tell you about Jesus? But like, that's the kind of life switch that he had. He realized that he was running out of time and he wanted to live the rest of his life for Christ. And I know that some of you may have similar experiences, whether it be near death and not as comical as mine, but just some moment in your life where your view on life switched and you changed the way that you lived your life. And I want to talk about someone that this happened to in the Bible. And now a lot of you know the story of Lazarus uh, or Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's the seventh major, major, uh, major miracle in the book of John. And it's the last miracle that John writes about before uh, Jesus is crucified. And it's a miracle from death to life. But it's also a miracle of more time. And you'll see what I'm talking about later on. So let's recap this story super quick. Jesus is a very close friend of Lazarus. And Lazarus' sister is Mary and Martha. And Lazarus becomes super sick. And Jesus hears tell of this, that Lazarus is sick and he's close to dying. Um, but he decides not to visit Lazarus and not to heal him. At this point, Jesus is well on in his ministry towards the end, and we've seen him heal, and we've seen him uh, perform miracles, but he chooses not to go visit Lazarus. And I'm sure to Mary, Martha, and his disciples, it's all very confusing of why isn't he going to go see Lazarus, his very close friend, who we know he could heal, but us being the third-party readers, we know that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, after Lazarus had been dead for about four days, that's when Jesus finally gets there, 
And Martha, Lazarus' sister, another one of Jesus' friends, tells Jesus, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, uh, God will give to you. And that, I just want to go on a little tangent here and say that's the kind of faith that we should have. Like, we have things that God wants, we have things that we want God to do in our lives. We want to, to be prosperous and to be happy. That's, that's the human condition. And God wants that for us too, but he wants it in his will. And we need to have the faith to say, God, I'm asking you for this, but even if it's not in your will, I will still have faith and trust in you. And that's the kind of faith that we need to have. So Jesus then tells her that Lazarus is going to rise again, and she says, I know he's going to rise again. There's going to be the great resurrection, and yeah, I'll see him then, but I'm still really sad. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's saying that he's the resurrection, that he's the Messiah. That's one of the uh, seven I am statements of John. And if you look, at, it's the same grammar of God saying I am when Moses asked, uh, who should I say sent me at the burning bush? So then Jesus cries with Mary and Martha because of the love that others felt for Lazarus and the, and the grief that comes with death. And he goes to the tomb. And they roll aside the tomb, uh, the stone to the tomb, and Jesus commands Lazarus to come out, thus raising Lazarus from the grave, thus displaying his authority over death as the Son of God. And that's an incredible story. I love that story because it also foreshadows what he's about to do on the cross. And a couple of things about this story that caught my attention other than him raising someone from the dead is that Jesus had waited four days after Lazarus had died to perform this miracle. And in the Jewish culture at this time, the four days meant that Lazarus was confirmed dead. I don't know if it was a common occurrence to accidentally bury someone alive, but day one, two, and three, you're like, okay, there could be a knock coming from the inside and we could be a little worried. He could have been like really, really asleep or really sick. Um, but after day four and there's no knock, no, they're dead, they're gone. But it shows that Jesus waited to confirm to everyone around them that Lazarus is dead. Lazarus isn't just sick. He's, he's gone and he's passed on. And it shows that Jesus didn't just heal a sickness. He reversed death. And the second thing is that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it, the Bible says that he cried out in a loud voice. And we don't see many examples of Jesus doing this when he performs miracles. We see him laying hands on people. We see him just speaking words. We even see him spit in the mud and uh, spit in the ground and make mud to heal someone's eyesight. But we rarely ever see him uh, cry out in a loud voice. And I think there's a reason to this. It's not just Jesus performing another miracle, but him revealing himself to Lazarus and to everyone watching that he is the resurrection and that he is the life and that he is ruler over death. And the third thing is that the story of Lazarus doesn't end there. And this is kind of where I want to go. Lazarus is alive now. And he's sticking with Jesus. And he ate with Jesus. That's what it says in John 12 too. And people wanted to come and see Lazarus because of what Jesus did. He's a walking testimony of Jesus' greatest example of power. That's John 12, 9. And we can also assume that Lazarus wasn't being quiet about what was going on. We can assume that Lazarus was standing proud and saying, look at me, I was dead, and this guy, Jesus, he brought me back from the dead. Because it says 
that he was making such a ruckus that the chief priests and the Pharisees had plans to kill him too along with Jesus. That's John 12.10. Pastor Rob Ketterling put it this way. He said, imagine this. You were already dead. Jesus brings you back from the dead, and now people want you dead again. And it's just interesting to, to, to think about what it might be like to be Lazarus. Like if you were given a second chance at life, how would you live it? I would be shouting it from the rooftops like Lazarus was, letting everybody know why I'm back. Uh, I was talking to Dr. Devin Swindle, who's a Bible professor uh, at Harding University, earlier this semester about, uh, about this topic. And one thing that he said that uh, it reminded him of the apostles in Acts. And he said that uh, uh, from the verse, for we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. That's Acts 4.20. And I thought that was so good that the, that's the attitude that Lazarus had and that's the attitude that we should have. Essentially what happened here was not just Lazarus came back from the dead, but Lazarus got a second chance at life. Yes, he died again, but he got a second chance. And I know most of you don't have any experience dying and coming back from the dead. But in a way, if you're a Christian, you do. Like Matthew read earlier, we were dead in our transgressions. And I want to read that passage again, actually. Um, The Bible tells us that we were once dead in our sin. And we were set apart from God. But through Jesus, we have been given life. So let's read that again. Um, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're living your second chance right now. You've gone from death to life. We've been given a new self, we've been given a new blessing, a new identity, and a new purpose as a son or daughter of God. And we know that we've been given a new life, but now how are we going to live it? Are we going to live it like Lazarus? He didn't live forever. He eventually died again. He just got an extended amount of time. And before you answer this question, I want to bring up an example of someone else in the Bible who got an extended amount of time. Uh, let's look at 2 Kings chapter 20. Uh, this is a story about King Hezekiah, who for the majority of his life did a pretty good job of following good God's will. He was a godly man. He, uh, he walked in with God and prayed to God and worshiped God. But at the end of his life, he got very sick. Um, and he was about to die, and God told him that, hey, you're sick, you're about to die. And he prayed to God, and he said, God, I've been faithful to you. I have loved you. I've been trying to lead my kingdom the way you want it to be leaded. And, uh, and God, if I could only have more time. And because of his faithfulness, God granted him 20 more years. So God healed his sickness and he granted him 20 more years. But King Hezekiah didn't take this time like Lazarus did. What King Hezekiah did was he invited the ruling authority of the opposing kingdom at the time into his temple and said, look at all this gold. Look at all this gold. Look at this huge kingdom that I've built. 
Aren't I so great? And if we can partner together, then we can just combine our kingdoms and we'll have more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. That's how King Hezekiah spent his Lazarus time, his extended time. And what God saw was someone being self-centered. And what God saw was someone being ungrateful and, and untruthful about what would happen. And what God did was God cursed him. He said, you will lose the throne, not during your lifetime, but your descendants will be cursed and your kingdom will fall apart. And you know what King Hezekiah said? He said, then King Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Because he thought, why not if there will be peace and security in my days? Hezekiah didn't care. He was so apathetic and so apart from God that he didn't care about what God said because as long as there was peace in his days, he was fine. And that's not the heart that we should have. When we're Christians, we need to think about the time that we have on this earth isn't our time. It's a gift from God and it's a blessing. It said, uh, I heard it once said like this, we were once dead in our sin. Because of Christ, we've been given new life. And it's a gift, not a right. There is no life without Christ. So, now what? What do we do? You got ears to hear, hear me. We need to be living differently, knowing that we are on Lazarus' time. We can't be apathetic in our lives, and we can't be chasing after these sinful desires. We need to follow Christ and walk as he walked. Uh, Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We need to make the best use of our time because our days are numbered. And I know that's not really uplifting to hear, but it should be too. Because if we're Christians and our days are numbered, that means our days are numbered until we're in the, uh, the eternal glory of God. And that's the best thing ever. But God doesn't want us to just sit and wait. we got to make the best use of our time and make heaven crowded. Let other people know. We need to be joyful. This is good news. The fact that we were once dead, apart from God, by our own doing, and God loves us so much that he said, no, 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 I'm going to pay for your sins because I want you with me, that should bring us joy. That should make us so happy. And we need to be bold in our testimony. I was in Greek class earlier this semester, uh, and every morning, Dr. Robertson, he does a, a kind of a devo for us to prepare us for the morning. And he says that the apostles prayed for boldness. Acts 4.29 says, uh, the apostles say this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Think about the apostles. They were being persecuted. They were being shut down. They were being imprisoned. They were being beaten. They were being killed. And they didn't pray for safety, and they didn't pray for salvation from it. They prayed for boldness to keep preaching the gospel in spite of all of that. That's the attitude that we need to have because we're short on time. But our time is a gift. And we need to realize that because of Christ, we're a new creation. The old you, the sinful you, it's gone. It's no more. It's something completely different. We can forget about it. And through Jesus, you're something new. You've been given a mission. You have been given purpose. And God has redeemed you from who you were into who you are. And God's love, it entangles you always. And the last thing I want to say is be a Hezekiah, I mean, be a Lazarus, not a Hezekiah. 
Spend your Lazarus time preaching the word, not spreading sin. That's what 2 Timothy 4.2 says. Spend your Lazarus time testifying of what God has done in your life, big and little. Not glorifying yourself, but glorifying him. That's what Acts 4.20 says. Spend your Lazarus time loving others the way that God wants you to love them, not staying angry at them. That's what Matthew 22.37-38 says. And I know that there are a lot of things that can hinder our Lazarus time. For me, I was just thinking about this this week. It's not in my sermon notes. But I'd struggle with anxiety my whole life. And it's something that just, just keeps hitting me in the head, hitting me in the head, hitting me in the head over and over and over again. And I get so worried and I get so worked up. And I get so preoccupied with what if, what if, what if. That it takes away from my Lazarus time and I get off mission. And it's, it's hard for me, and it's a battle that I fight every single day. But one thing that I know is it doesn't matter because God's got it in his hands. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. How much more value do you have than they are? And it's not saying that God's going to take care of you in this time and in this world, and he's going to give you food to food to eat and clothes to wear, because we know, looking around our world and how broken it is, that that doesn't always happen. But it's the fact that we have to trust in God, that he is the creator of all things, that he is there at the start of time and there at the end of time, that he knows what is best for us, that he knows that he loves us, and that we just need to trust in that. And I know it's easier said than done, but when we realize that we have this mission from him, that we have been assigned something to do with our time here on earth, and we focus on that, and we stay focused on that, and that's all we can think about, that's when the joy of God comes in. That's when the peace of God comes in. That's when all the fruit of the Spirit comes in and strengthens us so that we can accomplish our mission. And I don't know about you, but if there are some of you here who aren't sure about God, aren't sure about this whole Jesus thing, and are hearing me say this, and are either getting scared or either saying, I want to be a part of this. I want to have this joy. I want to have this purpose. I want to, I want to have this. It's open for you. God's love is for everyone. It's up to you to accept it. And I just want to encourage you for all of that because God's love has changed me in so many ways. I don't know where I would be without you guys. I don't know where I would be without my mentor. I don't know where I would be without God speaking to me through all of you. I can see God in each and every single one of you in his own unique way, and it's beautiful. And that's what made me want to become a Christian. And I hope that if you're thinking about it, if you're not sure, if you're on the fence, that not my words, but God's words, either through me or through others who love you, can help you push through that other side so that you can partake in that promise and you can partake in the joy that we have as Christians. That even though we have limited time, we have limited time until we get to see the full glory of God. And that's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up. Um, just know that I love you guys and I thank you so much for this awesome opportunity to be here and to speak to y'all and uh, thank you for everything.